0: season to celebrate the coming of our king and remember that we were dying, remember that we were lost and on our way to hell, but the euangelion, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is that God came and he's in love with sinners. The Bible says that he's married to the backslider and he loved us so much that he sent his son into the earth to come and be among us. Our scriptures are going to start today from the book of Matthew chapter 1, a very familiar passage of scripture. Welcome to all those who are watching online in different places in different states. Welcome here to our online family. Why don't you guys give them a hand and welcome them. So glad to see my church family today. We're going to read together. And I've already quoted that scripture we're going to start at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and if you guys could, let's read in concert. We're going to read this today. Let's read. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You may be seated in the presence of God. I'll read those last couple of scriptures that when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. He gave him the name Jesus. I'd like to encourage you. We are finished with our gifted series and Robin has some spiritual gifts test. And I'd love for each and every one of you to fill those out uh, so we can get those back and we can analyze. Oh, there's quick questions and we'd like for you to fill those out when you get the chance. But we're going to go ahead into the service. I don't think anybody announced it, and I just wanted to get it out while it's on my mind. Um, But we're starting a series, and everybody can see it on our screen, and I want us to declare that together. Everybody, let's read on the screen what's on the screen. What do you see up there? God with us. That's important because sometimes in life, especially during this time of year, people tend to feel alone without the presence of people, without the presence of of what we would consider family, that there is this feeling of loneliness and depression that will sometimes tend to creep in with us for people that we miss or people that have gone to heaven or gone, gone on, and now we need to know, Lord, I need to know that I'm not alone, and I'm in this world where we see all sorts of tragedies, and we continue to pray, and I want you to be on prayer vigil for our neighbors in Oxford who are not less than 34 miles from us. Uh, that are dealing with the tragedy of a school shooting, dealing with people sending their children to school. My goodness, I have three children. I couldn't imagine sending them to school and never having them come home again. There are no winners in situations like that. and We we pray for God to be with us during those tough times when, when those things in life that happen that just... Don't seem to make sense. God, why is there all these things in the world? Why is there so much tragedy? Sometimes we need to be reminded that even in this terrible world that God is with us. And so during this series, we will begin to describe different types of people that God is with And the reason it's important for us to do that is because a lot of times, sociologically, we tend to hide and stay within our tribes. We tend to stay with people that look like us and think like us uh, and have our ideals. We gravitate toward those people. The old axiom that says birds of a feather, what? flock together, so we generally tend to take people that are our same age, or our same sex, or our same political standings and things, and we we put all those things together in in, in a box, and and we, we try to make sure that In our mind, we know what God approved is. And the problem with putting people in a box is because sometimes we in our mind subconsciously will try to delineate and try to decide who it is that God will save. We'll delineate in our mind that God can't save them. They got a tongue ring. God can't save them. They got tattoos. God can't save them because they got. All. Have you ever heard people say foolishness like that? You're going to hell because you got a tattoo you're going to hell because you got tongue rings and things like that. As if God didn't know you were going to have that before he saved you. So now all of a sudden that ink is stronger than the blood of Jesus. We tend to say stuff like that and push people away from God. And it's important for us to know that Christ didn't just come for people who look like us, but he came for all people yes. with all sorts of pasts with all sorts of history, with all sorts of things that we might not seem as kosher to us, but as we take a sober, non-filtered, realistic view of ourselves, it'll produce gratitude because we realize that the greatest gift that was ever given to the world, we don't even deserve. (laughs) Yes, when we look at ourselves, we realize that all the secret things that are in our heart that we know we're not perfect and I'm not going to put you on blast today but if you be honest we think things we shouldn't think we go places that we shouldn't go we say things that we shouldn't say we do things that we should not do but yet and still God loves us and we should expect that the love of God will not only carry over to us because if he can love us in our condition that means he can love everybody else I feel like Paul Paul says that I am the chief of sinners Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, who was one of the most prolific writers of his day. Paul, who was a dynamic apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, who we get our theology and many of the facets of our theology are written through books that Paul penned, letters that he penned to other people. And Paul himself says, I am the chief of sinners. Paul, who was carried into the third heaven to see things that he couldn't even utter to other men. Paul says, I am the Least of these. When we look at that, we see that our dichotomy or our thought process sometimes may be faulty because sometimes it keeps us from reaching out to people who we deem would never accept Christ. We see people in certain lifestyles and live in certain types of ways, and we don't bother to offer them Christ. Be honest, you're in the grocery store, you see people, and God may say, sell Jesus with that person, but you look at them, and you see how they dress, and you see what's coming out of their mouth, and you just turn, turn and walk away and say, they don't care nothing about God. Have you ever done that? Can you be honest? But those are the very people that he came to save. For the father came to seek and save that which was lost. And inversely, that same dichotomy is sitting inside of that person that we ignore because they know the stigma of where they have been. And they believe the lie that God can never love someone like me. They believe the lie that God can never love somebody with my mistakes or have been the places that I've been. I don't look churchy enough. I'm not good enough for church people. And newsflash, church people are just regular people saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You aren't comparing yourself to anything when you compare yourself to church people because all of us are sinners that are saved by grace. And we don't want to overlook those people and we want to let them know that if you're listening to this or if you're in the building, Christ died for you even if you don't fit the mold. Even if you don't fit the mold of what you think a Christian should look like. Even if your past doesn't fit the mold and you don't have a wonderful testimony that mama and daddy raised me in the church. And I grew up. Somebody has the testimony that I was raised and my parents were drug addicts. I was raised and my parents were alcoholics. I was raised and my mama was a prostitute. I was raised and I didn't hear anything but cussing all my life. I was raised and I was raised to do the only thing that I knew how was be promiscuous and do drugs and do dope. And to do alcohol, that's how I was raised. That's all I knew. And in my mindset, God can never love a person like me. And then there are those who have been in the church and said, I knew what was right. But the church could never love me because mama and daddy raised me right. But I chose to go a different path. And there are many that are sitting outside of the church not wanting to come in because they believe the lie. Because I was here and I love. God won't take me back. But I take you to the story of the prodigal son and let you know that there is a father waiting to watch you afar off with his arms stretched wide waiting for you to come home it doesn't matter if you've left the church, it doesn't matter what your past is, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, but God is waiting for you to return to him and you are not alone. You need to realize that even in the darkest moments of your life, you're never alone. God is with you. David said, where can I go from your presence if I make my bed in hell or Sheol or the grave? David said, even in the grave, God, you're right there with me. I can can't go anywhere that you are not with me and that your hand is not with me. I've come to tell you, you might be lonely. You might be looking to hear from God. God wants you to know that you're never alone. And today we look at the type of person that I'd like to submit to you today. And the topic of today is called lessons from Joseph. Everybody say lessons from Joseph. We're going to be looking at all types of people across the next couple of weeks, as many as we can, because Christ died for all types of people. And I want you to know that no matter who you are, you are all types of people, which means that Christ died for you. And we're going to look at Joseph and we read the scripture about Joseph. Joseph, although he doesn't take up much real estate in the Bible Joseph has one of the most impactful jobs in the entire Bible. We often talk about Mary and we have all of these these plays and we have Mary come and everybody has the spotlight on this lady with a little uh, on this lady with a with a baby in her arms. And we say, oh, isn't that sweet? And there's still a stoic man standing in the corner that nobody pays attention to. Much like life. But here's the thing that this figure is very important. Imagine if you had to put your child up for adoption. (laughs) What would be important to you? What type of person would you want to father or be a surrogate father to your child? Think about the fact that when we want to put up a child for for something or we couldn't take them. Why do you give up a child? Some people will give up their child because they feel like they can't offer them the best. So they want them to have the access to the best schools, to to the opulence that they can, to the best opportunities. And we often think of success in different ways. So if I were God, which I'm not, and I was thinking of a way to put my child down, I would put my child in a palace where he would never scratch his. So I will put my child in a place with a rich person that could take care of them and put them in the best schools. After all, isn't that the American way? Isn't that what we do? People shift and move their whole lives. Why? Because they want to be in a good school district so the kids can go to a good school that we we qualify people by things that God does not. Because when God looks at Joseph, God doesn't see opulence, but God sees somebody that's blue collar at best. Somebody say blue collar at best. best. Joseph wasn't a scholar. Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was a blue collar worker in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 55. We hear it declared when they're talking about Jesus and they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? Yes, Jesus had other brothers and sisters, but he wasn't born to a rich man. He was born to a man who had little to nothing at all. Not only was Joseph blue collar at best, but Joseph was born in the worst environment, to say the least. Joseph was born on the wrong side of the tracks. If you take a look at the city of Nazareth, the city of Nazareth, some of the houses that were in ancient Nazareth were about the size of a parking space. So when you go outside, go to your car and look where your car is parked, and that's the type of house they lived in. He didn't live in opulence. There were people that did. There were Jewish people that did. But Joseph didn't live in opulence. It was so bad in Nazareth that when they found who Jesus was, and Jesus began to call his disciples in the book of John, chapter 1, at verse 45 through 46. Let's see what they think of Nazareth. John chapter 1, verses 45 through 46. Let's read that together. Ready, read. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one of Mo, who wrote Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus Nazar of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hallelujah, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, "Come and see." Hmm. Jesus was born south of Eight Mile. Jesus wasn't born in Oxford or Bloomfield. He wasn't born in Royal Oak or or Troy. He wasn't born in Auburn Hills. Jesus was born on Plymouth and Gratiot. Jesus was born in what we would call the hood, where the poor people were. God chose to send his son, not to the best neighborhoods, but to the worst. Because he had a plan. Why would he do this? Why would he pick Joseph, a guy who was a blue-collar worker at best and lived in a bad environment at least? Why? Everybody say he was rich in character. All of us should seem to be like Joseph. I would love to be, by the time I'm, I'm old and gray, have enough money to be able to leave my kids. The Bible says blessed is a man who leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It would be a blessing to leave things for my kids and my grandkids, but I've learned something about life. My mother didn't have a lot of finance to leave me, but what she left me was able to help me get and keep finance was character. There's some things that that are invaluable that money cannot buy. And if you can't input money into your kids, I submit to you that may not be the most important thing because God could have given him money, but he knew he wouldn't be here long. He put him with somebody who had character. He put him with somebody who had integrity. He was rich in integrity. I find it interesting that God evaluates Joseph much more differently than we evaluate people. We would look for the great job, and we would look for the great neighborhood, and we would look for access to opulence. But Joseph was different, and while none of these things are bad for a parent to want for their child, those aren't the things that matter most. I just want to give you a few things, if they could put the first one on the screen, about Joseph, because these are the things that we need to do as well. Let's read that together. He sought to deal with the issue without damaging the person. See, it's easy for us to judge Joseph when we're 2,000 years later, and we've seen the story beforehand, and we already know the end of the movie, but... Can you imagine being Joseph? Joseph, who is in an arranged marriage, and he's betrothed to Mary. And engagement is different from engagement of today. Once you are engaged, you are married. You might not be with that person for a year, but you are married. And here it is, his spouse, his bride, his good young virgin, that he's waiting on, said, Joseph, hey, Mary, good to see you today. You sure are looking nice today. <laughs> I can't wait till we get married yeah, Joseph, I need to talk to you, yeah, Mary, about about our wedding, my father's planning it, and we got the bride price, and the dowry, yeah, and all these things, but Joseph, I need to talk to you, yeah, and it's going to be great, and we're going to have these kids, and I know I don't have a big house, but I'm a carpenter, I can build on, and we can work on some things, yeah, Joseph, and we're going to be great, Joseph, and and yes, Mary, and I can't wait, but Joseph, I need to tell you something, I know you do, I'm just as excited as you, Joseph, I'm pregnant, and Did you just say that you're pregnant? Yes. I'm I'm, I'm pregnant. Immediately, Joseph has to think of all the social stigma and all of the embarrassment and all of the people that are going to be looking at him and all of the, the men, every time he comes to temple, that are looking at him side eyed You know how people do. They don't tell you they' talking about you, but the way they' looking, and they be quiet when you walk up. You know they' talking about you. Everybody gets quiet, and everybody's kind of side eyeing you. Like, mm. <laughs> and here it is. Joseph is stopped dead in his tracks. What do you mean? You' pregnant. What do you, we never, how, how did this happen? We always ask that as if we don't know. <laughs> and in this one situation, he didn't know, and she looked at him, and now Joseph has an opportunity. Joseph has some courses and recourses of action. Joseph could fall back on Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 through 24. I don't know if they have that up on the screen, but Joseph could choose to have Mary stoned to death he could save face and choose to have her stoned he's well within his rights to do so because in his mind he doesn't know what's going on and he's been wrong he could choose Legal divorce, but it doesn't have to be private. He can put her on blast and make sure her life is wrecked for the rest of her life. And if he was that type of person, and we have all have the benefit of hindsight, we know Joseph to say yes. However, Joseph is not initially privy to this information. And by the custom and the law, he could have her condemned. Yes, he could have her stoned. But when he had the advantage, he was planning on choosing mercy. I hear the word of God saying around Micah six and eight. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good to love kindness and what mercy. The true test of somebody's character is how they deal with an issue when they've been wrong. Can you deal with the issue without damaging the person? Most people have what they call. Righteous indignation, which is really self-righteous indignation. They will have, be wronged by somebody and they will use the fact that the Bible is on their side to destroy that person. In the name of righteousness. But it's really self-righteousness. But the true test of a character of a person is when they have you dead to rights and they show you mercy and I could tell that Joseph taught Jesus this lesson you know why because as Jesus is walking through the streets one day somebody throws a woman who does not have one bit of clothing on down in front of Jesus and the law said that she should be stoned and no doubt it may have went back in his mind I remember the rumors that they said about us and all the things that they said about dad and mom and daddy could have had mama stone and he didn't and he looks at this woman and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. His character was important because your character determines what type of gift God can leave with you. God is not just leaving anything under the tutelage or the leadership of Joseph he is leaving his most prized possession I don't know if if, if you like me I'm just gonna be honest I'm black and black people are funny about their kids and in case you didn't know we real funny about our kids if you ever ask us uh, uh, can can Timmy come over no we don't let our kids go over. everybody we just don't do it. it ain't it had nothing to do with you but I want them to we we're real close to our kids that's that's a cultural thing and things like that and we're real protective of our kids can Timmy come over and play do I know their parents no no they can't and Haley came back, and Haley was going, wanted to go to a party, and her, her friend's mom thought it was strange. Why? Because I walked to the door and waited till somebody came to the door. And I let them know, this is my child, and I'm leaving my child in your hand. And if you'd like your house to stay the way that it is now, when I come back to this house, my child needs to return to me the same way that I left her at this house. <laughs> Daddy first, pastor second. (laughs) But we're real peculiar about our kids. Can you imagine how God was about who he was going to drop his child off with? Could it be that we spend all the season long focusing on materialism, not realizing That character and other things, the things that money cannot buy, should be our focus for the Christmas season. Thank you for the gift that you're making me. Is this helping somebody? Hmm. Although some situations might rightly demand a form of justice, how you retaliate or hold a negative attitude towards someone who has done you wrong says little about them. It says volumes about you. Do you want a wrong righted or do you want a person destroyed? Interesting thought. And if you're honest, you prayed that prayer, Lord, get my enemy. There you have. Somebody done something to him, to you, and you might you might be that one person that hadn't. But do I have some other people in the building that said, Lord, get them, mm-hmm. sick them, Lord? <laughs> they hurt me, Lord. Amen. Get them. And that said more about us than it said about them. Sometimes people hurt you unintentionally. They're not just out to get you, but sometimes they do it unintentionally. How we respond says little about them, but a lot about us. And that's what this series is about. Let us be introspective of who we really are. If God gave you the advantage, what would you do with it? If God made you the boss at your job, how would you treat your employees? If God put you over a ministry in the church, would you have people serving you or would you be serving them? If God gave you the advantage, how would you handle the upper hand? Somebody say, how would I handle the upper hand? Because the only people who really need power are those who very rarely like to use it. Because they know what it's for. Number two, I'm going to let you out of here. Pull up number two. I want you to read this about Joseph. Let's read this together. He submitted to the will of God, even though it contradicted with his plans. He said, okay, I'm not going to embarrass you. You're a good lady, Mary. I, I think you're a good lady. I don't know what I'm feeling right now. I'm kind of confused, but I'm going to put you away privately. But I am going to put you away And then all of a sudden he has a dream and an angel comes to him he gets a word from the Lord. An angel means messenger, a messenger of the Lord, spoke to him in a dream, told him what was going on. And let's be honest, most people would have woke up and forgot about that dream they had and said, I just had too much to eat when I laid down. That, was, that wasn't God, that was some other kind of dream. I'm not gonna marry this lady and this baby isn't mine and then I gotta deal with coming to church and they notice that I'm tall and he's short, my eyes brown and his blue. I don't I don't wanna deal with, with that. I, that was just a dream, but Joseph went, When he hears the word of the Lord, even though he has other plans for his life right now, he submits to the word of God. There are many people, even in marriages, because roles are confused, and the woman's trying to be the man, and the man's trying to be the woman, and God made a specific order. He, he said, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of the woman. Your, your wife, not everybody's wife, you don't have, 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 have rule over there. everybody else, just keep that in mind. But the, a lot of marriages are topsy-turvy because the wife is trying to be the husband. God made him the head and made her the helper to help him in the vision that he gives, but a lot of marriages are torn up because ladies want to do their own thing. Nothing wrong with having a career. My wife has a career, I have a very smart wife, but what would be wrong is if she's focused more on that than she is the purpose that God put in me because our purpose is intertwined. And the problem is that not only are the women trying to be the men, but the men are trying to be the women. Every time you need a decision, this man stop and look at his wife. It's OK. If you, you know, if you ask me, if we going out to eat or something like that? What I say, go ask Robin. It's, a, it's OK. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is when it's time to stand up and be a man, he subjugates his responsibility to be a man and make the tough decisions and dumps that weight on somebody who wasn't designed to carry the load. God is looking for real men in the earth that will stand up and be men. And I'm pretty sure there's some women that's looking for some real men. There are some women that are looking for some real men that will protect and will provide and have the character to nurture and won't let everything go and will be honest even when it's not the most popular thing. If you can't say amen, somebody just said amen so they wouldn't have to say out. <laughs> But my point is, I didn't even tend to put that in there, that's free. But the point is that what happens, and it's going to happen in your life if it hasn't already happened, that God's word is going to contradict with something that you want to do. Because we're humans and we're flesh. And our will is not always his will. Even Jesus had to say, nevertheless, not what? My will, but your will be done. If you really want to be the person God is calling you to be, you've got to stop worrying about what you want and realize that even if what God is telling me to do is far from what I want, it makes me look silly, it makes me look stupid, that he knows what I do not know, and his plan and his will is best for my life. Somebody might be listening to this right now and saying, I ain't listening to nothing else he's talking about. He just made me mad. That means God is speaking to you, and whether or not you walk into the destiny that he has for you, is determined on whether or not you will listen to what he has to say even if it makes you look foolish. Joseph chose to listen to the dream even though it would make him look foolish. Why? Because he decided that God's will was more important than his will. Why do I keep going through the same old cycles in life? You know why? Because you have decided that your will is more important than God's will. Why do I keep having the same old arguments in the same old situations? Because you have decided that your will it's more important than God's will, and you have been erroneously told that this is all about you, and none of this is about you. It's all about God. He, we were created for his glory and for his purpose, and when we submit to that, our lives won't be perfect, but they'll fall in line. A lot of the turmoil and the conflict we have in our life is unnecessary conflict because we're fighting against what God wants for us. Can I get an Amen. So I'm going to give you two quick tools that can help you when life comes at you. And it may be a situation because Joseph is put in a pretty precarious situation. Can you imagine being in that situation? I'm embarrassed, and I want to try to find out the way to get it out of it with the most least damage control. I'm going to try to take the high road, but now, God, you're telling me I can't hide it? I got to tell everybody, this it's my kid, and they're going to obviously know that this kid doesn't look like me, and they can do the math. It's not time for me and Mary to get married. Well, how are we going to have a one-year-old son when my wedding comes around? Jesus, well, well God, what's going on? But he says, nevertheless, not my will. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That same attitude shows up in Jesus, what you do and how you live your life is influencing your children. It's influencing your grandchildren and your seed to come. I've just given you two opportunities where he could have stoned her. He didn't. And Jesus ended up doing the same thing. He's God. He's wise. He probably would have did that anyway. I've given you another opportunity where he could have followed his own will and he didn't do it. He followed God's will. And we see that Jesus did the same. Ask yourself a question. Am I living the type of life that will be the example that I want my kids and my grandkids to follow? I want to speak to someone that's lost today somebody that's in turmoil, and you seem paralyzed in your thoughts right now. I've just thrown so much at you. It's kind of hard to get your bearings on what's going on, and some people are, 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 are upside down on what, what's going on in their mind, and they can't seem to get a grip. Have you ever been like that? You just really can't seem to get a grip. you kind of like, I don't know which way is up. I want to talk to you this morning. You seem paralyzed in your thoughts. You're able Unable really to decipher where you are. I'm going to offer you two quick points that helped Joseph. Because you're going to find, if you haven't been in this, you're going to find yourself in this. There are storms in life, they're going to come, and there are three things that you can be assured of. Either you're in a storm in your life right now, you've come out of a storm right now, or you're on your way into a storm. You're not exempt because you love Jesus from trouble happening in your life. And when situations happen in your life, just remember, if you're coming out of it, you can shout, but make sure you prepare because you're headed back into one. And if you're in one, you can cry for a second, but stop crying because weeping may endure for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. God's going to deliver you when he sees fit to do it. But there are two things I need to give to somebody who might not feel like God is with them at the moment. Because I'm pretty sure in this situation, Joseph didn't think that God had his best interest at heart. Number one, can you put it on the screen, guy, if they don't have it there? I'm going to tell you what it is. Everybody say what that says. Seek God. Seek God. There's a scripture that goes with that. Psalms chapter 34, verse 10. It says this. Let's read it together. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's read that together. Y'all sound so wonderful. I love to hear y'all read the word of God. That's like music to my ears. Let's read that again because you need, to, you need to talk say that about yourself. Let's read it again. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, for those of you who've been depressed all, all season long and you feel like you're down in the doldrums and you nothing's going right in your life, let's read that one more time. And I want you to declare that with power and with purpose. Let's read it. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Hallelujah. That's enough to shout off of right there. I could stop right there. He says, I know you need clothes. I know you need food. God clothes, the sparrows, Solomon and all, his wisdom wasn't and splendor was not clothed like the lilies of the field. I know you need this stuff, but I'll let you in on a secret. Your problem is that you're majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. You're worried about you don't have enough money to make ends meet. You're worried about you're in a dead end job. Stop worrying about that and worry about my relationship my devotional time and my relationship with God is not where it needs to be because when you can hear the word of the Lord God can tell somebody who's in tax trouble hey go out into the middle of the sea throw a net over to this side take a fish and take what's out of his mouth God can give you instruction when you listen to him that will change your life forever stop seeking the stuff and seek the hand of that that gives (laughs) seek God's face but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. God is looking for a church that's not seeking uh, a harvest. God is looking for a church that's not looking for a harvest of money and a harvest of houses and clothes but he's looking for a church that's looking for a harvest of souls and as my spiritual father used to always say if you'll handle God's business God will take care of your business if you'll do what God wants you to do God will make sure you have everything you need you may not have steak but ramen noodles are just the same. I've eaten steak all over the world, and every now and then I like to go and get a piece of bologna and turn it over and burn the edges, and it sounds like a delicacy to me. Why? Because whether it's steak or whether it's bologna, you thank God that you got food. If you seek God, God will make sure that you won't go hungry. God will make sure that you do have clothes. You might go through a season of homelessness, but God will come around, and God will put his hands of protection around you. There may be somebody in here who's been homeless. We We've had some people in our ministry before that have been homeless, but one thing for sure, even in that, God's hand still guided them. God's hand still protected them, even in the rough season of life. Number one, you need to seek God. Pull up number two, and we're going to be out of here. Everybody say, trust God. Hallelujah. Somebody declare that like you mean it today. Trust God. Somebody say, I can't hear you. Somebody shout it. Trust God. You've got to trust him when you can't trace him. You've got to be able to trust God when you can't see how he's going to work it. You don't know how he's going to work it, but you know that he parted the Red Sea. You know he turned water to wine. You know he raised people from the dead, and you know he can raise your dead situation. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, why you're going to do it, and you side. You may choose that you're not going to do it, but whether or not you are going to do it, I trust whatever decision you make for my life is the best decision for my life. (laughs) So if you heal me, I'm good. If you don't heal me, I'm still good. (laughs) If you you keep me where I am and give me money that I need, you're still good. If I have to go through a season of dryness, you're still good. If if you deliver me and I never have another taste of addiction in my mouth, you're good. But if I'm still struggling and trying to make it, Lord God, you're still good. In every situation, you're good. I might not understand it, but I know one thing. I'm going to trust you. Some things we'll never know why. Last scripture for the day, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4 through 6 it says this, read it with me let's declare it, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding hallelujah, somebody should be shouting already, read it, it. in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight, I've come to somebody who doesn't know which way to turn submit to God, submit Meet, seek him, and submit to him, and trust him. And i am come to tell you that I haven't always been in the best situation in life, but I can tell you this, that God will make a way. When that seems like there is no way. When it seems like everything is over, hallelujah, I've seen that God will make a way. <laughs> I remember a song that said, I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within and seeking to rise no more. But then the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me. And now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else would help, love lifted me. Have you tried things that just didn't work? Believe in God. Love will lift you this morning. I've come to tell you, stop trusting in your bank account. Stop trusting in your job. Trust in God because when nothing else will help. When people who told you they were your friend will turn on you and stab knives in your back, God will allow them to stab the knife, but He'll pull it out and He'll heal that wound because there is a bomb in Gilead Amen. Amen. where nothing else would help. I've come to speak to somebody who's at the end of their rope and came in here saying, Lord, I'm just going to trust you one last time. And if I don't hear what I need to hear, God God told me to tell you this morning that you're not at the end of your rope. You may think it is, but he's right up underneath you. So when you let the rope go, he's right there to hold you. You're not going to fall. Rock bottom, the one song said, means nothing to God because God made the rock. And God is going to be right there with you in the valley, just like he's in the mountain if you just learn to seek God and if you learn to trust God, God will make a way. Lessons from Joseph. May our life be set that way. I don't know who you are in the building. You may have received some news that was less than desirable. I want to let you know that God will make a way. You might not be able to see how this is going to work out. Joseph had to trust a dream, and that's all he had to go on. And a wife he no longer trusted. But he had to believe the word of God and believe that God will make a way. My mother, when I was young, would always tell me that I was too trusting the people. And I would say, Mama, you know what your problem is? And my mama, when I said something, she thought I was foolish. She'd get this look on her face, and she'd look down over her nose, and she'd look at me, and she'd say, would? <coughs> And I said, Mama, you've just been hurt too many times in life. And you've had a bad life, and, and, and sometimes and you've had some bad breaks, and sometimes people have done bad things to you, and you think that other people everybody's bad. Mama, everybody's not bad. And Mama didn't think everybody's bad, but she was trying to get a point across to me because sometimes I wouldn't, I, I, I was just naive. I was just trusting everybody, and I would give my heart, and I wouldn't be cautious that everybody that's in your corner ain't in your circle. <laughs> and, and, and Mama looked at me, and she said, just keep living. What Mama was saying is there are going to be seasons in your life where doubt is going to come in. You don't know who to trust, just like Joseph. You don't know if you can trust your friends. You don't know if you can trust your family. You don't know if you can trust this situation. But I do know one thing that you can trust: the word of God. Amen. Even if it doesn't seem like it, God will make a way. Jesus. If you need something from God today, as Brother Dave comes, will you just lift up your hand? If you have a special unspoken need, if you need it, just lift up your hand. I know you're expecting me to say I'm going to have people pray for you or that this will go away, but this time I'm not. Keep your hands up. I'm going to give you two clear instructions. Seek God. In your devotion and prayer to Him in your word, He's going to work it out and He's going to give you your answer. The next I'm going to do is whatever instructions God gives you, trust God. And do what he tells you to do. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Guys, cue up, make room for me as I pray and bring Brother Dave up. God, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in this place oh we thank you Lord Jesus that your word will go out like a two edged sword and touch our hearts surgically remove those things that need to be removed Lord God and mend those things that need to be mended cauterize those things that are causing us to bleed out spiritually Lord God help us Jesus we receive your word with gladness and I pray your blessing this Advent season this Christmas season across all of your people thank you for the gift Of your son Jesus. Because because of his blood we can come to you. Boldly before your throne. We believe it. And we receive it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.